Thank you, Pastor Chaiwi. Just now, Pastor Chaiwi was mentioning that we were away for a, a conference in KL. We left for KL on Thursday morning. And uh, yesterday night, Friday night, I flew back. Otherwise, this weekend, you have no speaker. <laughs> and the other pastors and the staff only came back on uh, yesterday night, arrived yesterday night, 10 something. And I thought that I was going to have to pau kaleo. I have to do the pre-service, announcement, communion, and preach. But thank God for Timothy, our treasurer in the board of deacons, who made the announcement yesterday and do, did the uh, pre-service prayer. And today, thank God for Pastor Chaibi, who did the communion. So I can just focus on preaching. Okay, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, I just want to pray for every person here. I want to pray for the ministry of your word. I ask for your Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts, to open our hearts to receive your word like the good soil. I ask, Father, may your word be a lamp to guide our feet and a light to direct us in your path of righteousness so that whatever we say and whatever we do may glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a reader, okay? Can you guess this reader? I am often held but rarely touched. I am always wet but never rust. I often bite but I am seldom beat. To use me well, you must have wits. What am I? Just a tip, all of us have it. All of us have it. Can you guess what it is? It is our tongue. The tongue can be held by our mouth without being touched. Even though it is always wet, it will not rust. Hopefully so. Hopefully so. It can bite through the words that we speak. Now, we have been preaching from the book of James, and today we have come to James chapter 3 that talks very plainly about the tongue. And I want to entitle my message, Wisdom in Our Talk and Walk. Wisdom in Our Talk and Walk. Now, all the children and youth who are here, can you wave your hands at me? Can you wave your hands at me? Okay, I'm going to give you permission to do something that you can only do this once here and never do it again. <laughs> I want you to stick out your tongues. Stick out your tongues. Okay, sticking out your tongues is uh, very rude in some culture, but in some culture, it is actually a sign of respect. For instance, in Tibet, sticking out the tongue is considered a proper greeting. When two people meet, they do not shake hands, but they stick out their tongues at each other. You all want to try that to the person next to you? Greet them by sticking out your tongues at them. Now, how long do you think your tongue is? Typically, a human tongue is around 3.3 inches for men and 3.1 inches for women. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Nick Stobel of Salinas, California, has the world's longest tongue, which is 3.97 inches long. How much do you think your tongue weighs? 
Well, the average tongue weighs about 70 grams for men and 60 grams for women. Our tongue actually is one of the smallest organs in our body, but it serves three important functions. First, it helps in tasting our food. That's why durian tastes so good. It helps in swallowing food, and it helps to articulate speech. When James 3 speaks about the tongue, it is referring to the third function of the tongue, which is the role that our tongue plays in speaking out words to communicate with one another. So the first part of James 3 deals with wisdom in our talk. James 3 verses 1 to 12. Now this passage reveals to us that we need wisdom in the use of our tongue to talk. Because even though the tongue is very small, James 3 points out that the tongue has great power. And the first thing we see here is that the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to direct, verses 1 to 4. James has given us some picture illustrations to show us the power of the tongue. And the first illustration here is the beat of a horse. Verse 3 tells us, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. The, the horse is actually a very large, powerful animal. An average horse can weigh anywhere from 400 to 600 kilograms. So how do you control such a large animal and how do you direct it? By giving the horse carrots? No, it is with the help of the five-inch little metal that is shown on the picture called a bit, and that weighs only a few grams. And the actual bit is nothing more than a metal bar with a roller in the center. And that roller in, is placed on the horse tongue. So the reins are connected to the bit on each, each side of the horse mouth. So when you pull the reins, okay, when you pull the reins, the metal, the metal on the tongue, when you pull that bit against the horse tongue, you can direct the horse. So when you pull the bit is put to the left, okay, the horse will go that way. When the bit is put to the right, the horse will move in that direction. And if the rider pulls back the bit on the tongue, the horse will stop. So the horse whole being is directed by the bit in on its tongue. And even a small child can control and direct a large horse with the small bit. Similarly, the tongue is a small part of our body, but it can shape the direction of our lives and the lives of others. The second illustration that James gave us here is the rudder of a ship. Verse 4 tells us, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Ships were one of the fastest ways to travel in the ancient world. Remember, they don't have aeroplanes in those days. So ships were used to carry crews and cargo. They would be moved along by the strong wind. So what control and direct such a mighty vessel? It is the little rudder, the little rudder that controls the direction that the ship goes. The size of the rudder compared to the size of the ship is actually very small. But 
the small rudder determines the direction that the ship will turn. So a large ship can change directions when the small rudder is shifted. When the captain turns the wheel one way, the rudder is shifted and the rudder will turn the whole ship that way. If he turns it in another way, the rudder will shift and it will turn the whole ship in a different direction. What does the tongue, a bit and a rudder have in common? It is that something so small can direct something much larger. So too we can use our small tongue to speak words that can have a powerful impact upon the lives of others. I want us to read together this poem that talks about the power of our words to direct. Let's read it together. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may, may hate instill. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may brighten a day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. So just like we use a small bit to direct a large horse and a, and a small rudder to direct a large ship, we can use our small tongue to speak words that can direct and steal someone's life in the right direction or in the wrong direction. That's why in verse 1, James said that those who teach will be judged more strictly. Verse 1 tells us, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Teachers here refer to the teachers of the Word of God. James is not trying to discourage us from becoming teachers. Rather, he is pointing that those who desire to teach must understand the great responsibility that they have. Those who teach God's word will be more accountable because their words will affect more people. God's words, our words can influence people in the right direction to draw them closer to God. Or our words can easily deceive those who are listening and drive them in the wrong direction, away from God. False teachers can even destroy or damage the faith of a whole group of people with their false teachings and ultimately direct them straight into hell. The teaching of God's word can greatly influence the eternal destiny of someone's life. That is why we who teach, including myself and all the pastors, will be judged more strictly. Now look at the words there. In verse 1, it says, we will be judged more strictly. These two words, more strictly, means that all of us actually will be judged for our words. But for teachers, it is more strictly. Our words and actions affect other people. So before you feel glad that you are not a teacher or a cell leader, read, read verse 2. Verse 2 tells us, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Notice that James is including himself and everyone else by using the word we and all. All of us, not just teachers, are going to be judged for we stumble in many ways, but we stumble most frequently with our tongue, with our words. How many of you have got into more trouble because of your tongue 
than you have with your foot, your leg, your arm, or your shoulder all put together. The thing about the tongue is that when it gets you into trouble, sometimes all the other parts of your body also suffer with it. Example, the tongue can give you a black eye. You don't believe me? Go and insult someone and see whether you get a black eye or not. The tongue can keep you from participating in a sports event. The tongue can keep you from having a job to go to tomorrow. The tongue can cause some husbands to sleep on the sofa. That's why James said that if you can control your tongue, you can control your entire self. Anyone who has not stumbled in word or in the tongue or in what you say is perfect. And this word perfect does not mean without any faults at all. The Greek word for perfect means mature, especially spiritual maturity. So the person who can control the tongue is a spiritually mature Christian. So what action can we take to use our tongue wisely and the power of our tongue to direct people in the right direction? Action is think before you speak. We need to think before we speak. Someone said this, put your brain in gear before you put your tongue in gear. James 1.19 tells us this. Let's read this verse together. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Children, let me ask you, how many years do you have? How many? Two. How many tongues do you have? One. God has given us two years, okay, and one tongue to show that we could be, we should be quick to listen but slow to speak. And one of the ways you can check yourself is to use an acronym put together by Alan Redpath using the acronym THINK, T-H-I-N-K. Try to ask these five questions before you speak. First question is, is it true? Is what you're going to say true? If it is the truth, then say it as it is. Don't exaggerate. When someone was asked why she always exaggerate, she replied, I'm not exaggerating. I'm just stretching the truth. Don't stretch the truth. Your tongue is not made of rubber. Just speak the truth as it is. Is, this, is it helpful? Will my words be helpful to this person? Is it inspiring? Will my words build up someone? Is it encouraging to someone? Is it necessary? Is what I'm going to say necessary or not? Is it kind? Someone said, if you can't say anything nice, then don't say anything at all. I think that's a good advice. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So think before you speak. The second thing we see the tongue has power to do is the tongue has power to destroy. Verses 5 to 8. Your tongue also has the power to destroy. And again, James gave us here two word pictures to illustrate the powerful, the destructive power of the tongue. The first illustration is fire. Verse 5 tells us, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great bows. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. How do many fires start? They usually start with a small flame or a small spark. A tiny little spark of fire 
can cause millions of acres of land to be burned down, animals to be killed, people to become homeless. And when a forest is on fire, it is very difficult to put it out. And some of these forest fires can range, range on for years, for days and months. And by then, much damage has been done. What fires destroys, it destroys totally. Now, I have a piece of paper here. If I crumple this piece of paper, do I still have the paper? Yes or no? Yes, okay. I can unfold the paper. There will be creases on it, but I still have the paper. Now, if I tear this piece of paper, do I still have the paper? Yes, I can put it back together, tape it back together, and there will be marks, but I still have the paper. Now, if I were to burn this paper, okay, let's see what happens. Senior pastor is not around, so I can play with fire. <laughs> what happened to the paper? Do I still have the paper? If I gather all the ashes, can I put the paper back? No. It is destroyed completely. Okay, it is destroyed completely. I cannot take the ashes and put back the paper. It is already destroyed. And the same thing is true of our tongue. Our words are spoken, they cannot be taken back. No one can reverse the damage that is caused by the tongue. How many reputations have been ruined by rumors and gossips? How much hurt has been caused by false accusations? How many relationships have been broken by angry words? How many lives have been destroyed by careless words? Someone said that our tongue was created by God with two gates that need to open first in order for it to come out. Do you know what are those two gates? The first gate is our lips. The second gate is our teeth. It is to teach us to be cautious, not to cause damage with our tongue. And I believe that many of us may remember words that were said, maybe by a friend, a family member, or a spouse, that may be just a small statement, but it can cause damage for years. The fire of the tongue still burns on. How many of you here have heard of the singers called the Carpenters? If you have heard, you are in my generation. This pair of brother and sister, Richard and Karen Carpenter, are popular singers in the 1970s. And some of their popular songs are Yesterday Once More, Top of the World, which I just heard sung at a wedding dinner last Sunday. And Karen Carpenter has such a beautiful, rich voice. But in 1983, she died unexpectedly of heart failure at the age of 32. Most people knew that her heart attack was caused by years of self-abuse from the eating disorder, anorexia nervosa. A person with anorexia thinks that she is very fat, even though she is very thin. And so she starved herself. She refused to eat or she eat very little in order to keep on losing weight. But what started Karen's fatal obsession with her weight? 
Five years after her death, in 1988, CBS released a television movie, The Karen Carpenter Story, which revealed the answer. Karen's fatal obsession to lose weight was triggered by a writer who referred to Karen as Richard's chubby sister in an article. Just one single comment, chubby, was all it took to start her on a tragic journey of self-destruction. While there were probably other factors that contribute to her struggles, this one comment led to her eating disorder and eventual death. Sometimes we may think that the words we spoke are not harmful, but we never know what kind of effect our words can have on others. Verse 6 tells us, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue is a world of fire, meaning that the tongue is able to express every kind of evil, like hatred, envy, malice, lust, jealousy, resentment, bitterness, prejudice, violence, anger, greed, and lies. All these sins and more find their expression in the tongue, as the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. Hell is Satan's place, prepared for him and his demons. So when this word is used, it is a synonym for Satan and his demons. So our uncontrolled tongues can become a tool for Satan to use it to spread the fire of hell to destroy lives. Do you know that water cannot multiply? Water cannot multiply. If you have a cup of water and you pour it out, it won't become a flood. But if you have a match, okay, if you have a match and you light a forest, a fire, the fire can spread. You can light a forest fire and burn down a whole city because fire has a way of multiplying. Multiplying. Fire not only starts small, not only starts small, but it grows, it spreads, it can become almost impossible to control. And likewise, once words formed by our tongue leave our mouth, we lose control of what the words will do or where the words will go. When harmful words are sparked, verse 6 says, it sets the whole course of his life on fire. What is meant here is that one wrong word can actually create a chain reaction. You may not mean any harm when you say those words, but it can set off a chain of events that can bring devastating results beyond your control. Take an example of this. A husband comes home from work. He is tired, he is grumpy, he is cranky. Are some husbands here like that? So the husband walks into the house. He shouts at his wife. His wife shouts at the elder son. The elder son shouts at his younger brother. The younger brother goes out and kicks the dog. The dog chases and bites the cat. The cat comes in and scratches the baby girl. And the baby girl bites the head of her Barbie doll. It is a chain reaction. The tongue of this man sets the whole course of his life on fire. That's why Proverbs 18 verse 21 tells us the tongue has the power of life and death. Like a spark of fire, our tongue has the power to destroy. 
The second illustration that James gave us here is deadly poison. Verses 7 to 8 says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. At the time of creation and also in the covenant with Noah, God said that mankind is able to have control over all creation, all creatures. And we look around us and we can see that how man is able to tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures. Look at some of these examples. Animals. Animals like bears have been tamed to perform bicycle stunts. Tigers jump through rings of fire. And even lions have been tamed to open their mouths wide and not bite off their trainer's head. Birds. Do you know that in France, six crows have been specially trained to pick up cigarette butts and small bits of trash and then put them in a small box and they will get their reward. They will get something to eat. These six crows are hired by a French historical theme park. Any one of you want to hire the crows? Next group of this one is reptiles. In Florida, a woman named Mariton has a pet alligator called Rambo. And this alligator is six feet long, weighs 58 kilograms, wears clothes, rides on the back of a motorcycle, and travels with his owner. And Mary says that Rambo eats at the dinner table, sleeps in her bed, follows her around. And this alligator understands sign language and is even potty trained. Children, you want a pet alligator? <laughs> Your parents will paint sun. Sea creatures. In the San Diego Sea World, there was a famous killer whale named Shamu that was trained to appear in shows in the 1960s. And these very big whales can weigh anywhere from between 1,400 kg to 4,500 kg and they can give birth to a 140 kg baby calf. Can you imagine mothers carrying a 140 kg baby? Man can tame animals many times that are larger and stronger than he is. But James said that no man, no human being can tame the tongue. Why? Because 8b continues, the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And this word poison is used to describe both the venom produced by snakes and scorpions. And it's also the same word that is used to describe rust. Therefore, the warning that James gave us here is twofold. First, our words have the ability to harm others, like venom from a snake. And then our words have the ability to corrode like rust and destroy areas of a person's life. So what are some of the deadly poison of the tongue? One of these deadly poison is gossip. Gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. A gossip usually makes a mountain out of a molehill by adding some dirt and then more dirt. Another one of the poison is flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 tells us, 
A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth words ruin. What is the difference between gossip and flattery? Gossip is speaking behind a person's back, saying behind a person's back what you would never say to his or her face. Flattery is saying to a person's face all kinds of words that you would never say behind the person's back. That is the difference. Then there are also other deadly poisons of slander, making false charges with our tongue, lying against another person's reputation, fault-finding and destructive criticism, like fire, like deadly poison. It is hard to stop the damage that are caused by our tongue. I sometimes wish my tongue came with a control Z function. Do you all know what a control Z function is? Those of you who do typing on computer. For those of you who do not know, control Z, control Z is the undo function on the computer. Example, you type something on your computer, like, I think this guy is crazy. Then you say, no, 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 I should not say that. So you press control Z and your words magically disappear. It undo what you have typed. So how nice if our tongue comes with a built-in control Z function. Then you may say things, you may say nonsense, and you may suddenly realize that you should not be saying such words. But it's okay because you just press control Z and you can undo your words. And the words you shouldn't have said somehow became unsaid. How many of you would like a control Z button on your tongue? If we have that, I think some of us maybe keep on pressing control Z, control Z to undo what we say. Our tongue is not like that. Instead, our tongue is an out of control fire. So what action can we take to use our tongue wisely so that we do not use our tongue to destroy? Action, take heed that we will be judged by our words. We need to be careful with our words. Proverbs 10, 19 tells us, the more you talk, the more likely you are to sin. If you are wise, you will keep quiet. Do you know the average person spends one-fifth of his or her life talking? A statistical report said that in one year, the average person's words would fill 132 books of 200 pages each. Can you imagine how you know, if the books all put together, how uh, large it will be. A husband was trying to prove to his wife that women talk more than men. Do you all agree? <laughs> no? <laughs> okay. I will show you why no. <laughs> he showed her a study which indicated that men use about 10,000 words per day, whereas women use 20,000 words per day. Well, his wife thought about this for a while. She then told her husband, women use twice as many words as men because men are not good listeners and their wives have to repeat everything they say. And her husband looked at her stunned and said, what, again? <laughs> Some of you husbands here, if, if you do not get it and if your wife is here, when you go home, ask your wife to repeat what I say. <laughs> anyway, the point here is that amongst the so many words that are spoken by the average person, sometimes there are bound to be 
careless words that we speak. Sometimes there are bound to be angry words that we speak, and sometimes hasty words. That's why Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. We need to realize and take heed that we will be judged by our words. Matthew 12, 36 to 37 tells us, but I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Many times we seem to think that our words just fall to the ground, it die, or it will just vanish into thin air. But this is not so. The words of Jesus tells us that our words live on. They do not die. Every single word that we spoke is recorded, written down in eternity. And on the day of judgment, we are going to hear the recorder play back all the words that we have spoken. And God will hold us accountable for every careless or idle word that we have spoken. So take heed. We will be judged by our words. The third thing that the tongue has power to do is the tongue has the power to delight in verses 9 to 12. Verses 9 to 10 tells us, with the tongue, we bless God our Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth came blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Three times a day, the Jews will pray, and then they will end with this phrase, blessed are you, blessed are you, talking to God. They are blessing God. And it was customary for the Jew to, with his tongue to be blessing God all the time. And James said here that the same tongue that blessed God cursed those who are made in God's image. Let me ask you, who are those made in God's image? Children of God? Only children of God? Only Christians? Or all people? Genesis 1.26 tells us, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God did not say, Let us make Christians or children of God in our image. All people are made in the image of God. The word blessed here simply means to cause to prosper or to bring happiness. And as Christians, our words should build others up and bring help to them. And the word curse means to bring evil upon. And when we use our words to hurt, we are bringing evil on other people. So when we hurt others with words, we are disrespecting God because God's image is in each person. Insulting a person made in God's image is like insulting God himself. I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them these words. You are made in God's image. Now tell them, I see God in you. Yes, we are all made in God's image. And that is why James said in the strongest way possible, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. That means that we cannot use our tongue to bless and also use our tongue to curse those who are made in God's image. And then James asked four questions to emphasize his point that we should not use our tongue to bless and curse. 
verses 11 to 12. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Does no spring use both salt water and fresh water? Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Yes or no? Yes or no? No. Can a fig tree bear olives? Yes or no? No. I think some of you would like that your papaya tree can bear durians, right? <laughs> can a grapevine bear figs? Yes or no? No. Can a spring give both salt water and fresh? Yes or no? No. The answer is no, 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 no. Fig trees can only produce figs and springs can only produce fresh water. What then should the tongue of a Christian produce? Just as we use our tongue to bless God, we ought to use our tongue to bring delight to others who are made in the image of God. And these two illustrations, a spring and a fig tree, both picture how we can use the power of our tongue to delight others. The first illustration is spring of fresh water. In hot countries like Palestine, the natural spring provides beautiful, cool, refreshing water that people need to stay alive. And people who are thirsty should be able to come to the spring and drink deeply and walk away refreshed and rejuvenated. Water is life-giving and our words can give life too. Proverbs 18.4 tells us, The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. The second illustration that James gave us here is the fig tree. The tongue can also bring delight to others because it is like a fig tree. And trees were also very important in Palestine because fig trees not only provide fruit to eat, they serve to keep the soil from eroding and they provide shade to bring relief from the scorching sun. Our words can help to shelter, to encourage, to comfort and to feed a hungry soul. Proverbs 10, 21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many. And Proverbs 15, 4, The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Like a spring and a tree, our words have the power to produce the same kind of refreshment, relief, and delight in the lives of people whom God brings across our path. Charles Swindoll tells the story of a young man with whom he went to seminary with. Now, this man had a bright red birthmark that covered half of his face. There was no hiding it, but the man did not seem to mind about it at all. So after Chuck got to know him well, he finally had the courage to speak to this young man about the, mark, the birthmark on his face. And he asked him directly, why is it that this birthmark has so little negative effect on your life and it did not affect your self-esteem? Although this man is obviously very different in his face from everyone else. The young man told him that ever since he could remember, his father told him these words. Son, that birthmark is where an angel kiss your face. You have it so that I can always pick you out from the crowd of people. The young man then continued, You know, I almost feel sorry for those who don't have a birthmark. 
That young man's father used his tongue to delight, to speak words of life to his son. And he turned around a situation that could have devastated his son. His words of acceptance and his words of affirmation were powerful. Words that bless us can literally be like bread and meat to a starving man and like a cold drink of water to a person dying of thirst. We have all experienced that. When we are discouraged, someone come alongside and say, don't give up, you can do it, I believe in you. Or when we are doubting ourselves and feeling worthless, and someone come and give us a word of praise, a word of appreciation, or a word of affirmation. Or when we are struggling, we are confused, and someone comes along and gently and lovingly reminds us, God loves you. God has not abandoned you. God will bring you through this trial with His grace and His power. Church, today, all of us can be that someone. All of us can use our tongues to speak words to refresh, to delight someone else. So what action can we take to use our tongue wisely? to delight others. Action, take, trust God to tame your tongue. Trust God to tame your tongue. In verse 8, James said that no human being can tame the tongue. Notice he did not say that the tongue cannot be tamed. He just said that no human being is capable of doing that. So let me ask you, who can do it? If no human being can do it, who can do it? God. It is obvious that only God is able to tame our tongue. Have you ever asked the Holy Spirit to take control of your tongue? In Romans 6.13, we are exhorted to offer every part of yourself to God as instruments of righteousness. We offer our hands to serve God. We offer our eyes and ask God to protect us from the, lies, uh, from the last of the eyes. We offer our feet to carry the good news to others. But have we ever offered up to God our tongue to use it to bless others? Every part of yourself spoken in Romans 6.13 includes your tongue. Have you ever given your tongue to God to control it? We need to pray and surrender our tongue to God under His sovereign control. Make it a regular practice to pray the words that David prayed in Psalms 141 verse 3. Set a guard over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. And in Psalm 19, verse 14, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As we yield to the Holy Spirit, God can use our tongue to bring delight to others and we will be refreshing spring and tree the tongue is a little member of our body, but it has great power. The words we speak with our tongue has the power to direct, the power to destroy, and the power to delight. What will you use your tongue to do today? Ask God for wisdom each day in the words that you speak so that you can use your tongue to bless others. Before I go to the second part of this message, I want to address this issue. In our social media age, our words can also appear in a lot of other ways. Facebook, WhatsApp, email, Twitter, Instagram. 
And the words that we post can sometimes just spread like wildfire all over the internet, all over the world. Just as we need wisdom to use our tongues, we also need wisdom on what we type and post on the social media. We use our fingers to type on our keypads to communicate almost as much as we use our tongues. And I think that if James were to write his letter in our social media age today, he might say, our finger is like a fire. No man can tame the finger. So be wise in how you use the social media and what you post on it because it has the power to direct or it has the power to destroy or to delight. Okay, now let's go to the second part, which is verses 13 to 18, which talks about wisdom in our walk. Wisdom in our walk. You know, in the course of our everyday life, we are faced with many decisions that can have long-lasting consequences. Decisions such as, which job should I take? Which major course should I study? Who should I marry? How do I spend my money? Which college should I go? Many people will go to Mr. Google to look for the answers. And with the internet, it's very easy for us to gather large amount of knowledge on most subjects. And the mistake often made is thinking that knowledge is the same as wisdom. A man may have tremendous knowledge about marriage, but yet show little wisdom in how he treats his wife. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the accumulation of information, but wisdom is the knowledge of living, living out your life. Godly wisdom is knowing how to properly apply knowledge into every situation in life in accordance with God's will and God's purposes. And it is the God-given ability to make correct judgments and correct decisions based on the truth of God's word. Knowledge is obtained through our efforts. We can read a lot of books to gain knowledge or we can go to the internet and gain knowledge through our own effort. But godly wisdom is developed within us by the Holy Spirit. And we need godly wisdom in our daily walk of life. Verse 13, James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. James asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? How will we know if someone is wise and understanding? According to James, it will be demonstrated in their lives. Wisdom is the source of humility. And the wise are those who live for God in humble submission and obedience to Him. A wise person recognizes how small and insignificant he is without God. And so he needs God and he needs God's wisdom. James then described two different wisdoms we can choose. One is heavenly wisdom, one is worldly wisdom. And each one of us needs to choose which type of wisdom we will walk in. Let's read verses 14 to 18 together. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, 
then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Verses 14 to 18 gives us the contrast between the two kinds of wisdom. Let's look at the origins of the two kinds of wisdom. Godly wisdom comes from heaven, means that it comes from God. Worldly wisdom is earthly. In other words, it does not come from heaven or comes from God. It is unspiritual because it comes from a person's own will and is not led by the Holy Spirit. It is demonic, that is of the evil, meaning that it finds its origin in the influences of Satan. And then the characteristics of the two kinds of wisdom. Worldly wisdom is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition. Godly wisdom is characterized by being pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, and being impartial and sincere. Let me illustrate with this story. A curious man once asked to visit heaven and hell, expecting hell to be a terrible, frightening place. He was amazed to find people seated around a lovely banquet table. And the table was piled high with every delicious thing that a person could possibly eat. And the man thought, perhaps hell is not so bad after all. Looking closely, however, he noticed that everyone at the table were miser was miserable. They were starving because although there was a mountain of food that was before them, they had been given a three-foot-long spoon, three-foot-long spoons, and there was no way that they can carry the food to their mouths with such long spoons, so no one could eat a bite. The man was then taken to heaven. To his surprise, he found the exact same situation as he had seen in hell. People were gathered around a banquet table piled up with food, and all the people also held a three-foot-long spoon in their hands. But here in heaven, everything was, everyone was happily eating the delicious food. Why? Because the people in heaven were using their extra long spoons to feed one another. And I want to take this parable and apply it to worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. The focus of worldly wisdom, can we have the slide? The focus of worldly wisdom is the promotion of self at the expense of everything else. This is like the group of people in hell who are trying to get their own food for their own self. They don't care about everybody else. And worldly wisdom is characterized by bitter envy and selfish ambition. So the result is chaos. The result is everybody is miserable. Where else, every one of the characteristics of godly wisdom is focused on other people rather than self. This is like the group of people in heaven who use their long spoons to feed others, and in return, they themselves got fed. Godly wisdom is characterized by all these characteristics have to do with other people, being pure in our motives towards other people, being peace-loving, being considerate to others, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, and being impartial and sincere. All these are attitudes that you treat other people. So that is the godly wisdom. And the results of these two kinds of wisdom is that worldly wisdom, as we can see, produces trouble. It produces confusion. It results in disorder and every evil practice. Whereas godly wisdom, on the other hand, produces peace. It results in a harvest of 
righteousness. So when we have godly wisdom, when we have godly wisdom, we will make peace and we will be a peacemaker. But a person with worldly wisdom will operate to break peace, to cause peace, to cause disorder and confusion. John Wayne said these words, life is hard. It is harder when you are stupid. I want to flip this statement around into something positive. Life is hard, but it is easier when you have God's wisdom. It is easier when you have God's wisdom. So how do we get this wisdom from heaven? There is no special technique, no three-step method to get this wisdom. James has already given us the answer in James 1 verse 5. Can we all read this together? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Only God can give us godly wisdom because he is the one who possesses it. And the good news here is that God gives generously to all who ask. All you have to do is admit to God, I need your wisdom in my daily talk and in my daily walk. Then ask God for his wisdom and he will give it to you. Let us pray. Let's close our eyes and in this moment of silence, let us just reflect on the words of God. And I want you to just talk to God yourself. If you need wisdom in your daily talk, in the words that you speak to others, tell God that you need it and ask it from Him to give you wisdoms, wisdom in your speech, in your words, that you will bless others. Or maybe you need wisdom in your daily walk. You need wisdom to make a right decision. Or it could be you need wisdom to relate to your children or to your spouse or to other people. Or maybe you need wisdom to do your work effectively. You need wisdom to conduct your business or to handle your finances. Or some of us may need godly wisdom to take care of our body so that our body can be strong and healthy. And God wants to give wisdom to you. I want you to just admit it to God. Tell God, I need your wisdom in my daily talk and in my daily walk. I need your wisdom to guide me, to help me. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. This morning, if you need wisdom, whether in your talk or in your walk, I want to pray a prayer for everyone here. And if you need God's wisdom, I want you to just put your hand on above your heart. And I just want you to just agree with this prayer as I pray. Father God, this morning we ask that you will set a watch over our mouth and guard the door of our lips. Keep us from saying words that will destroy. Help us to control our tongue, to keep our tongue from uttering wrong and hopeful words. Forgive us for the many times that we have done that. Use our words to build up and not to tear down. Now we want to offer our tongue to you 
as instruments of righteousness. Use our tongue to speak forth good and helpful things. Use our tongue to be an instrument of grace and blessing and truth to all who listens to me. Help us to yield to your Holy Spirit so that our speech is always full of grace, seasoned with salt, building up one another. Father, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer. And just like we need wisdom in our talk, Father God, we also need godly wisdom in our daily walk. So we ask by your word and your spirit and by your grace, make us wise and give us ears to hear and hearts and hands to obey. Give us heavenly wisdom because we cannot live without it. Father, grant us that we might walk in wisdom and show that you have implanted in our hearts the seed which will spring forth in the fruit of righteousness. Father, we need wisdom to make right decisions in our life so that whatever decision that we make will be in accordance to your will and your purpose for our life. We need godly wisdom to relate to our children, to our spouse or to other people. Give us the wisdom. We need wisdom to do our work effectively, to conduct our business and to handle our finances so that we can be good stewards. So we ask for you from godly wisdom. And we also need wisdom to take care of our body so that we may be strong and healthy to serve you. Thank you that you are a generous God who gives us wisdom when we ask from you. In Jesus' name, Amen.